Keiichi whakaranga mai koe ki nga pātaka kōrero o Tamaki Makoto. You're listening to Auckland Libraries on SoundCloud. For, for heritage to uh, have value, for heritage to matter, you have to have a community there that celebrates it, connects to it. At the end of the day, these things, although they're from the past, they're kind of living and they're carried through into the present and then on to the future, hopefully, if we do our jobs right. Welcome to the Heritage Talks podcast, bringing you the best in family and local history from New Zealand, the Pacific and beyond. Your heritage now. Kia ora koutou and welcome back to our series for 2020. Our first talk will find an audience with family historians. However, our speakers' suggestions and insights for getting the most out of your research can also be applied more widely. Michelle Patient is an experienced family history researcher and genealogist and here reveals some of the things you may be missing in the course of your research and how taking a closer look can be the key to unlocking some of your family mysteries. If you would like to follow up on the resources mentioned in the talk, you'll find the links on this page. To hear more from Michelle, especially in the field of DNA and its implications for your research, see our Heritage Talks 2019 playlist. Enjoy the talk, and we look forward to bringing you another year of informative and entertaining content. Haramai, titahi ahua. I'm specifically focusing today on the aspect of reviewing your research. And so here I am with my examples of my wasting of time. Um, and I learnt that I should review my research because. I didn't read it properly in the first place. I know more than I used to know that the place where I got the information from has more info than I knew about, so I need to revisit, that I need to re-educate myself because I didn't understand the record. I didn't understand why it was created and who created it and what the focus of it was and the social context of it and the timing of it. Some records are not created at the time of the event. Do you think that's as accurate as a record creating at the time? So all those things I didn't know about when I started out became bleedingly obvious as my life went on. Um, and you'll see some reasons why. But it meant some pieces of the puzzle never really fitted together for me until I went and reread, reviewed, revisited and re-educated myself. And I turned what was searching into researching. And I hope by the end of today, I've helped you all in a similar way. So the main reason to look at it is you have fresh eyes. So sometimes you actually want to show it to somebody else. Sometimes someone else will see something you never noticed. Like I was searching for my mother's birth mother. She had a really interesting name, Jones. <laughs> I had found that someone with her name, Ethel Irene Jones, had married and I bought the marriage certificate and it had the right parents on it, but the age was wrong. So I have a marriage certificate for Ethel Irene Jones, the daughter of William Sidney Jones and Ethel Mae McWilliams, but she's 20 in 1942. My mother was born when this woman was eight years old. She can't be my mother's mother. But the documents match, 
the birth certificate info I have. How do I sort this out? Well, I put it to one side and figured she's probably the child of an older daughter. She's been brought up by the grandparents and she doesn't know that they're her grandparents. But isn't it odd? She has identical names to her older sister, who's actually really her aunt. <laughs> I thought nothing more of it till someone else looked at this piece of paper in our family who's interested. In fact, he was in Christchurch. And he said, have you noticed the divorce stamp on the side? because I'd not been able to find the death of this woman or the, her in the electoral rolls. And it turned out she'd divorced within a couple of years of getting married and she'd remarried and the indexes weren't available at that point in time. But it was only because someone else saw a stamp I didn't notice that was printed sideways that I'd have ever even looked for her marrying again. And there was a big year gap between those. So I learned early to reread the whole page and have someone else's eyes, who knew more than me, look at a document. And I'll please to say I end up talking to Ethel Irene Jones II, as I got to call her, who was never called Ethel or Irene, but was always referred to as Peg. <laughs> and Peg unlocked the whole family for us and contacted the rest of her family. And so my mother met her sister and everybody else. So Peg was very instrumental, but if it hadn't been for Graham and Christchurch reading the stamp, I might not never have learnt to look for a divorce and a second marriage, or because someone else's fresh eyes looked at a document. So, yeah, so the other thing that I learnt is you obviously have Joneses in your family. How many of you also have the lovely Irishes, mm, O'Briens and Reeds, you know, and those bunches of them with no middle names? Hopefully you've learned to read the witnesses at the christenings and marriages and then investigated the surnames of those people, tracing their records and working out how the families fit together with common names. But when I started, I didn't know that. So it's only when I went back and looked at the documents again to see if I had relatives who were witnesses that it made sense. And really are you researching the right mob how many in the room have gone up the wrong tree? How many have tested DNA and discovered that you thought you were in the right tree, but you're in the wrong tree now, you're in a different tree altogether? Same deal, isn't it? We're revisiting our research and ending up in some strange places. So I think it's important to ask yourself some questions. Have you actually gathered all the evidence surrounding an event that you're stuck on? So you may be stuck at a birth of somebody, a marriage of somebody, or death of somebody. Whatever the event is you're trying to find information for, have you actually looked in all the relevant places? I try not to use the word everywhere because one of the things I really used to get annoyed about was, I've searched everywhere and I can't find it. And I want to know where everywhere is because we would all like to search that place. So we need to learn where things have ended up. And they haven't always ended up where you expect. So you need to educate yourself about the record to find where it might be. So how many of you can tell me how many places you could look up the New Zealand birth, death and marriage indexes? So you would expect to find it at the government site because they're government records that we're talking about at the moment. So they have an online website, but some people are younger in the room and might not know that before websites there were things called microfiche. So for those of you that are under my age, there are microfiche and you used to have to do that instead. They've also created online versions for Find My Past and Family Search. 
and everybody's search tools are different at different sites. So whereas at the government site, they don't have the resources for us to use wildcard searching, family search and find my past do. So if you can't find your Mr. Carroll because he's really spelt with an N at the beginning, how many people would put an N instead of a C? You may find him by doing wildcard searching at the other sites. But when they've left him out altogether, you want the fifth site, Ancestry indexed the microfiche. And the reason you want to know about that is because people make mistakes when they're transcribing things, and so Mr. Carroll was left out. So the fiche reference is how come I found him, but because I had the folio number and the year, I could write to the DIA and ask for the death certificate I was looking for, which they said, but where did you get that number? In your fiche. <laughs> and within 24 hours, he had appeared then in the online index, correct? So you need to make sure you've gathered from all the places. Have you actually looked everywhere? And you may not know where everywhere is, so I will help you with that. And so are there records you haven't found yet at all? Have, is that your problem with your question? Because no two people in the room have the same brick wall, so I can't exactly go, this is the answer for all of you. You need to apply these things to your own circumstances. I covered before a little bit about timing, how reliable is the information. I hope most of you know that the most likely event document to be the most accurate is a marriage because the human present is the human who's giving the information. Dads have often had too few many drinks by the time they record the birth or they neglected to record it in time so they did it light about the date because they're over the time of the fee for being late or they're having an argument with their wife and they write a different set of first names because they're the ones they wanted. I have had all of those. So uh, while a birth certificate is quite accurate most times, you need to take a grain of salt with it. And the least reliable is always a death certificate because of multiple things. Informants may not know. Do you know every piece of personal information about the person you are about to write about? Or are you in such an emotional state that you just get it wrong? So the other reason you could have a brick wall is because you've assumed the one document you looked at was right. And you've done everything based on that one document which wasn't right, but you wouldn't think it wouldn't be right. And the other thing is, you know, did you get it wrong? So as a scientist, so in case you didn't know, I have a degree in pure and applied chemistry from Waikato, and I've got technical qualifications in earth science, so I've kind of got this weird bent. So I don't just talk family history and stories. And this process is really important. As family historians, you need to gather all the information you can about an event before you draw a conclusion about it. You shouldn't really even start analysing it till you've gathered all of those bits. And I've written a checklist for you, which you'll see in a minute, so you don't have to worry about that now. But it's thinking about your thinking process. This is called critical thinking. And then you need to test whether you got it right and not assume that you're perfect and you got it right the first time you made it to conclusion. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to not colour your thinking with confirmation bias because you've already decided what must be so and that you only look for records that fit your predetermined vision. And then there's tools. 
So some of the key techniques, I think, for tools are timelines, checklists, DNA analysis, and search techniques. Have you used a timeline on the person's brick wall? Have you realised that, oh, look, here's the last date I saw them in the UK and here's the first date I saw them in New Zealand. I've now narrowed my window where I need to be researching. So timelines can be interesting. Oh, look, I have a birth and it's here, but guess what? I have them in the electoral roll there. How is that physically possible that they could have conceived that child when they weren't in the country? Or had they done some trip I didn't know about? So sometimes that's when you've misidentified the human and not realise there's a human with the same name in two different countries and you pick the wrong one. So, you know, don't be too hard on people who are learning and making mistakes in how they build their trees. Remember, you did that too. But often they haven't thought about the timeline. I bet you've seen examples of children giving birth age two. And it's just because they haven't thought about the dates they're looking at at the time they're accepting a record. It is easily done. So here's my where is everywhere. Are you looking at every online publisher? So most of you might not use one of those when you should. Are you using family search and checking their digital records that are now more and more coming online from their old microfilm? Are you looking at the Internet Archive to see if there's anything there about your family? Have you found treasures there? So have you really looked in all the places you could? Are you aware that government archives in different locations have different levels? So in Australia, they're federal, state and local body, whereas we only have national and local body. In America, they have multiple levels again. It isn't always parishes you need to look at in counties. Sometimes you need to look in some strange place you've never heard of because there's multiple levels of registration locations. And some types of events are only ever still stored at the courthouse. All of ours were mostly sent up to one government repository. That's not so <coughs> in most countries. So you need to learn the archival process to find where the records will be. For instance, we have the other interesting issue. Are we going to find things in the Auckland archives, the Wellington archives, the Christchurch archives, or Dunedin, and some things from Gisborne, which is meant to be in Wellington, are in Auckland? Well, most of us will be familiar with our local libraries because we're in one, and so you all know about them. You also probably have heard of our national library and our projects that they have, but have you thought about university libraries? Some of the best local deep history is actually at a university library. One of my favourites, but I'm biased because I lived in the Waikato for so long, is they have some wonderful Māori Nui papers. So the Māori newspapers have been digitised free to view by University of Waikato. Have you researched them if you have pioneer ancestors? Because guess what? Your people may have been mentioned in the Māori newspapers. You don't know unless you go and look. And so I urge you to go and hunt for those. Christening records are often still kept with the original religious archive. Have you checked them? You might find the witnesses that you didn't see in a notice in a newspaper or in a family Bible or in the original birth certificate. You might find more family members if you found the christening records. Museums, historical and family history societies around the world often have family history treasures that have been kept from newspaper clippings and scrapbooks or other submissions that you just will never find anywhere else, 
but they're a lot less accessible than what we're used to, but you need to make the effort to reach out. Port Chalmers Museum has card indexes of Irish migrations that are not online, not fully sourced, but the only place I found one lot of family coming in from Ireland was in 1868 on Edward, I can't remember the name of the ship, so I won't say it. It was one of their index cards. It's not written anywhere else, but the family name was all I looked up, and then I double-checked backwards into some Irish migration documents about debt, and could find the same family, and it lined up. But if I hadn't gone to that museum, which is a major port in the Gold Rush period, they have records I've not seen anywhere else. Talked about historic newspapers, but the corporate archives. There was a wonderful article in the New Zealand Genealogist quite a few years ago now on the BNZ, and there's a BNZ archive. So if you happen to have someone who worked for the BNZ at some point, they've got a great archive and a great archivist, so you may find that if you had someone that worked for a well-known business, say farmers, for instance, that there may be an archive to, it, to approach. That's not limited to New Zealand. Any country, you may find there's an archival record about your ancestor. That goes to extending in your brain to things like training and apprenticeships and guilds. So there's the guilds of goldsmiths and blacksmiths. So you go further back in time, it's a similar, philo similar <coughs> philosophy, you may find workplace documents if you go to the right place. And then how many of you wish you could find that old maiden aunt that kept everything? And how often do we forget to find people that have personal collections? Because again, they may have photographs you've never seen, documents unavailable because, you know, some building burnt down. Until you go searching for descendants, that may have kept the sentimental items, you won't necessarily find them. But sometimes they're the people with the key. So that's some of my everywheres to help you find where is your everywhere. And then the other thing is search techniques. I don't know that there are many of us who know how to use the sites properly. So most of us just go to the front page and there's a search box and we just type it in and press go. But the larger the databases collection that they have, the harder it is for those sites to rank the order of the search found list so that it's meaningful to us. We need to use the filter tools that are usually down the left-hand column so we can drill more deeply into any one of these sites. But the best thing is to actually just go into the catalogue and just look for, if your problem is something to do with some particular state or country, you could just see all the record sets they have by using a keyword search in their catalogue rather than searching on their main front page. So the other question is, why should I subscribe to a site? Only if it's got the records of use. And you can go to the catalogue on any one of these sites and see if they have record sets where you are interested. And then you'll know whether it's worth paying or just coming to the library and using the library edition and going home. Find My Past has some wonderful Devon records you just don't get anywhere else. So if you happen to have Devon ancestry, you can drill back through every parish record just about, back into the 1500s and seeing Latin and wishing you knew what that was but it's great for building your family's back with the documentary evidence. But you can't do that at any of the other sites. So it's a case of making sure you're getting the best benefit from each site. This is one of my go-to sites. It's called Januki. 
when you're in the UK or Ireland, that's what the UKI stands for, so it's G-E-N for genealogy, UK and Ireland. It's a catalogue site. So it's the biggest catalogue site for UK and Irish genealogy that I've ever found. And you can drill through down each locality. How many of you have got somewhere new to you? Most of us have somewhere new at some point. And it will list every kind of topic you can imagine, where they are and how accessible they are or are not, and what is missing, like the 1851, you know, census for Manchester registration district XYZ, yeah? If you've never been here before, I would kind of read the guidance for first-time users because it'll save you time by reading the help first. But, you know, mostly you probably won't, so ignore me and just go and press the other stuff. <laughs> the other really great site for people outside of the UK and Ireland is the Family Search Family History Wiki. So it's created globally. It is not perfect. It doesn't cover every country. Guess what? Could any of you really imagine someone writing a global catalogue of every possible family history resource on the planet? No, but these guys are aiming at it and they're doing a really good job. And it's a free-to-use service and you can drill through all the localities. And you've only got one place to press a, some words and press go, or you can click on the map, or you can click on the All Countries button and see a list and drill through. This is the only thing you need to write down today because I added this specially for today. So these resources, many are out of print, but I'm hoping, Shona, you have the full set in your library. So these are a series of researching by locality within New Zealand booklets that have been um, published by the New Zealand Society of Genealogists. Um, there are still some on their website, but I can no longer get an image like this. So you might need to go hunting, but literally every provincial area, as we talk about them today, have really thorough booklets. Now, some of them are out of date, but they're not really out of date in the sense that you'll know the record exists. You may need to find that that place is closed down and it's moved somewhere else. So um, one of the things I did was I built a, a checklist, and this is just a short example of some of the items. Uh, so we have, again, marriage information on the right, and I bet you haven't thought of all those places to look for some of the events that you're stuck on. But the favourite thing I did was, for the Australians, I built a table of what electoral rolls are online by state, by year, because how many of you go looking for things you can't find but you didn't realise they didn't exist? That's why you can't find them. So you can look here first and go, oh, no wonder I can't find my family in New South Wales because they don't have online electoral rolls to 1930, even though I've seen my great-grandmother in the 1903, but I've only seen it in the microfilm in the you know, state library. That's why they're not all freely available for the time frame. And the first time I did that, the whole audience actually clapped, which blew me away, because I got sick of finding only American ones, so I made sure it was as global for the English-speaking world, and I should change its name to English-speaking checklist, not just for us down under. I like to also make sure that you understand the difference in the value of what you're looking at, because a record is very different to an index. So records are essential to us. They need, though, to be understood in context. So we talked already about that in terms of death certificates or birth certificates. You need to understand the whole context of when it was done.
Land records weren't done for our benefit, funnily enough. They were done for the benefit of the Land Title Office, so they're not stored by surname. We like to look by surname. But, you know, this is a piece of land. They don't really care too much about how to find the people who owned it, but they want to find what happened to the land. So the land is stored, nine times out of ten, by a land reference that's unique. So it's a different way of having to store, so you need to understand that to get the value out of the original record. And that's why I say they weren't necessarily kept for genealogical purposes. They're considered generally to contain evidence that is highly valuable. It is considered to be primary or secondary because it's usually by the person at the time or maybe it's by someone close and close to the event. It's not a transcription of something else, right? It's the original document. So the information, you've got to think about how accurate everything will be. You need to be a scientist. You need to actually question everything you look at. Indexes are also essential, so records and indexes are essential to researchers. But there's a really fundamental difference. These are pointers to evidence. They aren't a piece of evidence in their own right. Why is that? Because an index has been created from an original document by a human or an AI machine. And what are those things prone to? Errors and omissions. So it is possible, if ever of you have seen microfilm, it's really possible in the fiche department to miss a whole piece of fiche, and so all those have been omitted. So really don't rely on just using index resources, except maybe when you're doing quick and dirty trees in DNA. It's the only time I think they're reliable. They're a pointer to evidence for you then to go and decide where to go next to get the actual evidence from the document. And the same thing, an index is not always generated based on surnames, so you need to understand how the index is designed. That's why I keep telling you to read the help. We've talked a bit about errors and omissions, and we've also already talked about the New Zealand birth, death and marriage indexes and how there are five online varieties. That's why it's so important to go looking in all the indexes. So I want to talk about re-looking and how sometimes the key to your brick wall is hiding in plain sight. Granddad had been brought up by Auntie and Uncle Underwood. So I went searching the Underwood family and was really, really happy when the 1911 UK census was finally published because here he is, George Patient, adopted child, niece's son. Isn't that just fantastic? So I was so happy I didn't really take much notice of the document. Fast forward many years and I'm reading up to do a paper about censuses and how they're created and I read about that and I go back to fresh eyes. And I see that I've missed the bit where David has a black line through him. And I don't know if you can see that bad writing, but that says, Away Australia. <laughs> Isn't it good when you reread something and reread the whole page? Now, I'd learnt that this is the first year that we see the digital original that was filled out by the human in the house, not by an enumerator writing a summary. 
So because she had David, she wrote him on the paper and they promptly crossed him out later because they checked this, at, I assumed, at the door. I'm not too sure exactly how the process went. And I only found this out a few months before speaking in Queensland because guess where he went? He went to Queensland. <laughs> And I found him travelling out there in, you know, 1910 or 09. I found the travel documents. He hadn't long left. My father moved to Australia in 1951 and believed he was the only person to ever go there. This is a lesson in do not believe everything your father tells you. <laughs> because here's the man that was like my grandfather's brother already in Australia. He actually has two wives and at least two children and funnily enough no one in the audience in Queensland was related but if any of you know these Underwoods I wouldn't mind hearing from you. Um, so kind of really bizarre. And then I can't speak to you without talking about DNA and I know that you're all kind of used to that by now. So just quickly my other brick walls with my dad so this is my English father. When I first was told I was told don't bother with the Americans, they're no use. There's stacks of them out there everywhere. Don't worry about testing at Ancestry, it's no use, full of Americans. Um, so this was my dad's mother's father and there were Alfreds whose fathers were Charles and there were three of them in the same parish in the same decade. So I, and I'd researched forward and I couldn't tell which Charles was the father of my Alfred and therefore which one was mum until my very first spit in a tube and, um, and I matched with this bloke called John Clark, and some of you will have heard this story before, so I think of him as Fred Dagg. Um, and he, he's in New York, and I'm thinking, an American, um, are you related to my mother? I didn't, I hadn't read the help. I literally, this is like 24 hours in, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I said, my mother's up there, do you match her? I could have looked for myself, but I didn't know that. And he wrote, no. So I just emailed straight back, my dad's from Essex, does that help? And he wrote, yes, my mother's grandmother was Emma Day from Essex. And so you see, we went back a few generations, but I was able to show him images that had only recently come online about our family. And this is a poor law document where he's petitioning for money and funds and why, and it names they were married on the 9th of April, 1852, and the church at St Philip's in Bethnal Green, and he married Jane, who was 32 at the time, and they had five children. So, yeah, so we have some interesting research to do, and I still find it exciting, and I'm still finding people, and we're still building this trail. So some brick walls won't be solved overnight. And then there's new evidence yet to come to us. So they are starting to develop tests where you can get... DNA from the, the um, saliva on the back of an envelope. It's actually at the moment only guaranteed to be pretty good for 20 years. So they can get good autosomal out of 20-year-old. They're trying to develop the techniques. It's still progressing. In a few years, we're going to be there and have a better idea of what's going to be useful. DNA degrades in a way that makes it challenging. So there's a whole science, because we are actually at the pioneer edge of DNA and family history anyway, even though you all think it might have been around for a bit, it's actually still at pioneering stages. So these are letters my father wrote to my mother, and of course I can't wait to do his DNA to find out our West Indian answers, because Dad will have more DNA than I do. So all going well, one of these 80 letters is going to provide the answer when I can afford it, so I'm waiting for it to be cheaper. 
So I hope today's helped you break through and find at least a window to look through on your brick walls. Thank you very much. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for tuning in. The Heritage Talks podcast is produced regularly for your education and enjoyment. Talk notes are found on the Talks page at soundcloud.com. All links are in the Talk notes.